Did you miss the AAC and literacy webinar that we did a couple weeks ago? My guest, Megan Stewart, shared so many incredible literacy tips and even did a live shared reading demo. So the video playback is now available for our AAC Connect members, but this was too good not to share. So I decided to share the audio here on the podcast for you. And if you are interested in earning ASHA CEUs for listening to this episode, then stay on until the very end because I will explain how to get those. Hello, hello. Thank you for coming tonight. So excited to have Megan Stewart here. She is a genius when it comes to all things AAC and literacy. And I'm excited to learn more from her. So Megan, thank you so much for coming. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This is definitely my favorite topic to talk about. So I'm excited (laughs) to share and get to chat with you guys tonight. Is anybody following Megan already on Instagram? If you're not, Megan, what's your Instagram handle? Just so they know. I am sensible literacy, but it's S-E-N-S-E, A-B-L-E. So um, you should be able to type that. I don't think there's very many that start with S-E-N-S. So if you just start putting that in, hopefully I'll pop up. Awesome. And let's get a sense of where everybody is listening in from. Also want to make sure the chat is working. So go ahead and put in the chat where you are tuning in from tonight. I'm in South Florida. Megan, you're in North Florida, right? I am Northeast Florida. Yeah. So just up the coast, it's ridiculously hot here. It's horrible. I think it's just horrible everywhere right now. Uh, yeah. Nonstop too. Oh, we have someone listening from Australia. I thought we were oh, from wow. Australia. That's awesome. Thanks for joining us all the way yeah. from Australia. We have another Florida, uh, Pennsylvania. We have another Miami. Awesome. Nice. Perfect. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So this topic is how to incorporate AAC and literacy. And we hope by the end of this presentation tonight, you'll be able to identify two reasons why you should incorporate literacy into your sessions. You'll be able to identify two criteria for choosing books to use within lessons featuring AAC and literacy. You'll be able to describe how to plan for AAC and literacy sessions and identify three strategies to incorporate literacy into AAC instruction. And I'm curious, I don't know if you're curious, Megan, who do we have tuning in tonight? Is it just SLPs? Do we have any oh, teachers, yeah. SLPAs? Go ahead and put it in the chat. Yeah, definitely. Because we work so collaboratively most of the time anyway, but definitely when it comes to the literacy piece, that collaboration is key between SLPs and um, teachers for sure. But I also yeah. do it with my OTs and PTs and everybody. So um, but definitely that collaboration is key. That's for sure. And it seems like we have a decent mix here. I don't see any teachers yet, but we've got BCBA, SLP. Oh, SLPA. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We have a BCBA at my school too. And, um, we collaborate a lot. Awesome. We have a grad student. Yay. Congrats. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Graduating in nine days. Congrats. Oh, wow. Countdown is on. <laughs> So here's our agenda for today. We're doing our introductions and disclosures first. Then we're gonna talk about why you should incorporate literacy, how to choose books, 
how to prep for your AAC and literacy session, her go-to strategies for incorporating literacy and AAC instruction, and some additional resources to look into, and we'll wrap up with references, closing remarks, and Q&A too. So feel free to go ahead and put your questions in either, it's probably easier to track them in the Q&A session. Uh, it might get kind of lost in the chat. So if you have questions, I put it in the Q&A and we'll definitely get to it by the end. And Nicole is helping us out tonight. Nicole is amazing. So if you see her hopping into the chat, she's giving you guys some helpful information uh, whether it be links. At the end, she's going to give you the link to request a live certificate. So keep an eye out for Nicole DeSantis's messages in the chat. Um, since this is going to be available for 0.1 PDHs, uh, let's go ahead and cover some of our basic requirements. If you, if we're not familiar with each other, my name is Vanita Litvak. I go by she, her. I'm an AAC consultant, early intervention therapist. I'm on a mission to help SLP stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other professionals through the Speechy Side Up podcast. I have a very small private practice that supports caregivers in becoming confident communication partners. And when I'm not being an SLP, I'm hanging out with my almost three-year-old daughter, my husband, and our two doggies. How about you, Megan? Um, yeah, I'm Megan Stewart. I am also a speech language pathologist and also have the pronouns she and her. Um, I have been an SLP for over 20 years now. So, and I've been all over the field, but focused mainly in pediatrics. So, um, and mostly with those students with complex communication needs, I've done hippotherapy, home health, elementary, all the things. Um, I do own and operate Sensible Literacy. We talked about my Instagram handle. That's also my company. Um, I'm starting a small private practice as well, but I do have a storefront online on my website, sensibleliteracy.com. Um, and then I also, I just have a huge passion for this, um, to help people find their AAC systems that work best for them, for the family, for the students and everyone. Thank you for sharing that, Megan. Yeah. And then sharing your disclosures first. Yes, absolutely. So I have a couple relevant financial disclosures. Um, I do have ownership interests in Sensible Literacy. I'm also a salaried employee with the school district here in North Florida, and I'm a learning consultant with Boardmaker. And um, my non-financial are that I'm an ASHA member. Great. And then I have ownership interest in Speechy Side Up LLC and Tassel Learning LLC, and I receive royalties from the Luno's What to Do book series. I am also an ASHA member. All right, so let's dive into our topic for today. Let's start with why educators should be incorporating literacy in their AAC instruction. Why is it important? Yeah, um, like that first bullet says, I think it just sums it up really nicely. It's that language, literacy, and communication, you can't parse those out into individual pieces. They're all interchangeable. They're developing and occurring simultaneously. It's not like language happens, then communication happens, then literacy happens. They're all happening at the same time. So it's just a really nice way um, to pull everything together and just be able to focus all on all three of those things at once. It's really easy um, to do that within lessons and things like that. Awesome. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then um, that second bullet, um, 
we have to teach our AAC users how to use that 26 letters of the alphabet because that's the only way they're truly gonna become those autonomous communicators. What that means is that's the only way they're truly going to be able to say whatever they want to say to whoever they want to say it to. Um, and so that, and that's because if you think about an AAC grid, I know we have varying levels of knowledge as far as AAC may be with us tonight, but most of you probably have an idea of what a homepage or a grid on an AAC device, low tech, mid tech, or high tech looks like. It's got the symbols, but then also the letters um, and the labels for those things. So it's limited with how many things you can do for those labels. And even though the robust um, communication devices have so many words in them because they work from birth to death, like you still can't put every single word in there. Um, and we can't teach every single word because there's so many words. Um, so by teaching literacy and by teaching spelling and the 26 letters of the alphabet, we're allowing our students to be able to then learn to spell things so they can completely write whatever it is um, that they would want to say and not have to rely on, is this word programmed in my communication device? Where is it? Is it on my low tech board? Um, is it available to me? And then they just have access to it. And it's fun. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit biased, but I think it's just the kids have so much more fun when you incorporate that literacy piece and the communication and language because you can make everything just so interactive when you use all of those together. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have any stories of working with clients who wanted to say something and they were able to because they had access to the keyboard where they wouldn't have been able to say it without the keyboard? Absolutely. Um, so many of my students, and I will tell you guys that I primarily work with pre-K now, um, but even my pre-K students, and I mean three and four-year-olds, maybe five-year-olds, um, they find that keyboard and there's no turning back. We don't go back to the symbol-based, we go to keyboard. It's like they're texting because they go to the keyboard and then there's the word prediction up top. Um, I had a student that I got a device for at the end of this past school year, not the one that's starting now, but 22-23, um, and he loves dinosaurs, and yes, there's a dinosaurs page on there, but he found the keyboard, and he independently spelt, started spelling Tyrannosaurus Rex, mm -hmm. and got it right, and he is four, maybe, um, got it right, and then was talking all about Tyrannosaurus Rex, and um, just seeing our students be able to pull that knowledge and show us what they're able to say and then be able to do that independently. Um, I also had a little four-year-old guy um, kind of talking a little bit about the spelling, but also the grammar part of it. Um, he and his friends were doing a predictable chart writing activity in class and his friends were saying, I like, and then the type of pet that they liked. And one of his friends said, I like cats. Well, I showed him how to say with the symbols, I like cat. He didn't like that because it didn't have the S on the end of it. So he took what I modeled for him, went to the keyboard and found the S and put it on the end of cat. Like oh. uh, you forgot something. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and those are just two that pop into my head from this past school year, but once I tell you, once these kids seem to find that keyboard, they just, they take off number one and there's just not a lot of going back. Um, they tend to just start spelling everything. Yeah. 
I, I'm experiencing that right now with what my client, uh, who is also a Geshe language processor, stage yeah. a lot more verbal. And once that happened, she really just wants to write on the keyboard on the device and learn the letters because she's still learning them. But it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I just thought of another one real quick that I want to share because it's one of my favorites that I had this little boy last year that again, four years old, I, I think he was probably a Gestalt language processor as well, but he was fascinated and so knowledgeable about different languages. So specifically like Middle Eastern languages, he did not have a background with that. His family was not from that area, um, but he knew how to write in those and spell those and do all the things. And so um, one day we were in the alphabet center and I said on the, his device, I modeled for him, where are the letters? And he went to his, he backspaced out of that. And he said, where is the Turkish? And he wrote that on his keyboard and then took me to the letter centers and they had these little shapes and he started forming with the shapes. He started forming Turkish letters and then saying the name of the letter and the sound and then looking at me like your turn. And so that itself was just like enough to, if I wasn't already a believer, having experienced that, I would have been like, okay, now I understand. <laughs> I love that story. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It too. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that. Cause I think it just really illustrates the importance of teaching literacy and that's his special interest. And I love that you were mm -hmm. able to incorporate that. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Absolutely. So let's talk about how to choose books for AAC and literacy instruction. Yeah, there's so many. Um, I, I truly feel, and it's not just because I am passionate about this, but I really feel like any of us could probably pick up any book and make it work. Um, you know, I remember when I was going through grad school, it's been a minute, but they were always saying, you know, you should be able to do therapy with like a post-it note or a paper clip or something like that. Um, and it's really easy to do that with books too. I think we could pick up any book and be able to do that with now, granted, maybe not a chapter book, maybe not a novel, but like a picture book or something like that. Um, but these are three things that I typically look for when I'm, when I'm looking at a book to see if it's going to be a good book that I could use not only for one session, but for like multiple sessions as well. Um, I look for core vocabulary in the text, um, but I also look for core vocabulary in the illustrations. So now I'm not saying that there's words in the illustrations, but if you're looking at the illustrations and you're thinking in that descriptive teaching model where how you would describe the picture to someone, um, then you can oftentimes find a lot of core vocabulary in those pictures too, like how you would talk about the illustration. So if you think about it that way, um, and pairing those two together, I found it very hard to be able to ever find a book that I couldn't pick up and use in therapy. Um, and then books you like, because if we're not having fun reading these books, then the kids are going to be bored too. So if it's a book that you really like, either if it's a younger kid's book, if it's from your childhood, or if it's, you know, middle schoolers and it is a... Um, graphic novel or something like that that you can have that's age respectful but still you know able to um, focus on that vocabulary um, I think that that is really important because we've got to show that it's fun before our kids believe that it's fun yeah that makes sense 
And can you explain the difference between descriptive and referential teaching? Just a brief overview in case anybody is not familiar with those terms. Yeah, so descriptive teaching is, so referential teaching is more of like that specific vocabulary for a lesson. So the example that I think I probably heard in a professional development sometime that also pops into my head now is the word volcano. So they may be learning in social studies or whatever about volcano um, and volcanoes and all of the things, but we can't, we can, but we can't focus specifically on the word volcano and like program that into their device and do all of the things specifically because how many times do we really say volcano during the day, okay? So descriptive teaching kind of takes that and turns it on its head a little bit um, and talks about the way you would describe the vocabulary. So again, with volcano, the way you would describe a volcano, it's hot, it's up, you know, it's usually they're pretty big, it's up, you want to go away, you know, the lava comes down. So you're really, like I said, with that illustrations, you're really describing what you're seeing. You're using that core vocabulary or that vocabulary that they're using more often and that they can use in multiple situations um, and allowing them to see how that vocabulary can then transfer over. So then you're not programming, you know, volcano, hurricane, although if you live in Florida, you might want hurricane on your <laughs> communication device. I don't know. Um, but you're not programming those less frequent words, which they're not going to use as often. Um, and that helps too for our students. So if they are, you know, it's like that tip of the tongue phenomenon that we always have, um, or I always have when I'm trying to think of something or, um, and I can't think of the specific name for it, but then I just start going through and describing it and talking about it. Like it's small, it was over here, it looked like a box. So I've got all of these different vocabulary terms that I can use to describe it um, without specifically naming it. But by hearing those descriptions, people know what you're talking about. Thank you for that overview. That was perfect. Yeah. It was very like user-friendly. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Good. Uh, I want to kind of think about like, it, let's say a child is not into books at all. Yeah. What other mediums are you using? Yeah. Um, if they're not into books at all. So there's two different things that I think of when you ask that question. If they're, if they're not into books, as far as using them the correct way with my air quotes, you know, there's really no right or wrong way to read. It's just reading or not reading. Um, but if you have a kid that we've all had them. I probably did it as a kid too. You just flip the pages, flip the pages, flip the pages. Like we're not looking at anything. We're just flipping. Some people may think it's stimming. It might be, but you can also model vocabulary for every time they turn the page. You can say turn, 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 or you can sit next to them and read a book and have, you know, nothing to do with their book. You just are sitting next to them and then, um, and interacting and engaging with them in that way. Um, if they're not interested in paper books or they're not able to access paper books for any reason, um, there are tons of read alouds on YouTube um, that you could get to. Audiobooks are a wonderful way um, where you could, especially if you have the copy of the book as well and you're listening to the audiobook, you could be showing that actual physical copy of the book and then having the audiobook play as well. Um, there's also books that you can create because that's another way you could motivate your kids to get into reading. Um, there's Tar Heel, 
Tar Heel Reader, um, which is a wonderful website that has a whole bunch of books already created um, that are usually simplified as far as text, but you can also create books there um, that your students might be interested in. So if they really love SpongeBob for whatever reason, or they really love, um, oh, what's another example? They really just love the alphabet. You can make a bunch of alphabet books or a SpongeBob alphabet book. You could pair both of them together. Um, and then those are things that they can access online, but you could also print them out and laminate them and have their own little books in the library. Um, another way to do that very simply is just through PowerPoint. You can create books with your students through PowerPoint. Um, and that's ways to kind of engage them and get them interested in reading a little bit more. Um, or again, taking that special interest. If you've got an older student that just loves airplanes, I take that as an example because my son is obsessed with airplanes. Um, so, you know, finding um, an airplane manual or finding you know, something that you wouldn't necessarily think of. I don't know if they have airplane ads. I'm sure I could ask my son and he would tell me, but like, I'm thinking of like those car ads or car books or something like that, or um, circulars from the grocery store, things like that are just different ways that you can introduce reading without it seeming like a book. So those are examples that pop into my head. I love those. Uh, yeah. wrote in the chat. What was the name of the website you mentioned? It was Tar Heel Reader. It's out of the University of North Carolina. So if you think of North Carolina Tar Heels, it's T-A-R-H-E-E-L Reader. And they also have Tar Heel Shared Reader. So those are part of the mastermind of the people in the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. They have amazing resources. And that's a little sneak peek of what we'll talk about in a little while at the resources, but I highly encourage you to check those out because they have so many things that are free access for us um, and available for us to be able to use as providers, as parents, um, to be able to build that reading vocabulary for our kids. I love their websites and they're all still yeah. free, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you search on that... <laughs> Yeah, if you search on their website too on Tar Heel Reader, you probably would be able to find a lot of what you're looking for. I think I even heard on a professional development this summer for age respectful, because I, again, tend to focus on the youngers, but I know that we, you know, cover, cover the age span. But um, if you're looking, there was a, somebody was presenting, it might've been Sarah Gregory that said she was working with a teenage girl and there was like the alphabet of hot guys or something like that, where she was able to pull that up to make it respectful for her, but also work on the skills that she still needed support with. So I highly encourage you to check that out. That's awesome. And then Carol said Christmas toy catalogs from stores like Walmart yeah. with the kids also. Absolutely. Yes. I always get the one from Amazon too in my mailbox. And still my twins are 17 years old and they still pour over that and look at it and have all of those things to, to talk about for sure. Elisa or Eliza said it's a highly engaging book for teens, A to Z of hot guys. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. There it is. I love that. <laughs> awesome. Anything else you wanted to share here before we go on to the next slide? Um, I don't think so. I just think that the more you're engaged in it, um, then the more your students are going to be engaged in it. So trying to keep that in mind, if it's not something that you like, it's going to be harder to get them to like it. 
I love that suggestion. Oh, I wanted to add one more thing to this kind of as like an argument for core vocabulary. I was speaking with somebody else on the podcast today. And one of the things that she said is like, the curriculum is moving so fast nowadays that we used to pre-teach vocabulary before an academic lesson, but it moves so fast that you can't even do that anymore. So you have to teach those foundational skills that the core vocabulary that will be applicable across the different lessons. Because if you pre-teach something like we used to do and they learn it, well, they're already like, you know, five lessons ahead by that point. So it's just something else to keep in mind because some of the things that we used to do or that used to be evidence-based for our field just doesn't jive with the way the curriculum moves nowadays. Yeah, it is. It's so fast and you're right. You have to do that pre-teaching or you can't do that pre-teaching anymore, but it's still something you need to be able to accomplish at some point. So yeah, it's crazy. Maybe we can get some favorite book ideas or favorite literacy activities that you guys have been using. I know a couple of you shared some like the Christmas catalogs, anything else that has worked really well for you and your clients. I'll share like my daughter's been really into receipts lately. Like we'll bring home groceries and she'll find the receipt in the bag and she'll be like, oh, it's a map and like walk around the house and she can only find the O right now because that's the first letter in her name but silly things like that uh are engaging for her she's only three but I, I imagine as they get older you can get really creative so Carol shared you can create online books with book creator online that's great have you used that one Megan I and haven't used it um myself but I've seen it um in like professional developments or something but I have not used it myself, but it looks really awesome. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Carol. Uh, Teresa said menus. Menus are definitely, yeah. that's true. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about how to prep for your AAC literacy lessons. So yeah, prepping for AAC and literacy lessons. I am very minimalist, I guess, in my prepping and all of that. Um, just because it's easier and I feel like we don't need to stress ourselves out anymore, then it's already hard to be an SLP. Um, but I love just post-it notes and something to write with. You know, grab a flare pen if you're a flare pen person, grab a pen, grab a pencil, whatever you got. Um, and how I do that is, oh, sorry, one other thing. If you're already working with a core vocabulary board or a specific AAC system, grab that too. Um, and then while you're looking through the book, just again, with those tips that we talked about with core vocabulary and the illustrations, looking at that and then just make little notes to yourself about, oh, this page, they're walking, I could model go. And so you could just write model go or just go um, on, on the post-it and just stick it on that page. You could talk about the descriptive teaching, you know, just jot down a bunch of vocabulary that you wanna talk about that's gonna describe that picture. Um, and so then when you're reading back um, in your lesson, when you're reading it to the class, you've got all of those post-its just ready to go. And then you can either leave them on the book or you can take them off and toss them. Um, and if you don't like the idea of all the post-its like sticking out all over your book, if you think that would be too distracting for yourself or you think it would be too distracting for your learners, you can also just use a list or put all of those post-its on the back of the book in a certain order. So you'll be familiar with it, whatever works for you. Um, 
So then when you're reading the book back to the kids, they're not gonna see all of those post-its and hopefully it won't be as distracting. I haven't had any students that have been overly distracted by the post-its because um, they're typically looking at the book and engaging with it that way. Um, but that has been the easiest way for me to do it. And then initially it might take a little bit more um, you know, practice and a little bit more time. But the more you get used to A, the core vocabulary board or system or systems or boards that you're using, um, as well as, you know, what, what you kind of tend to like to talk about or look at in a book, um, it, gets, it gets a lot faster. It doesn't take as much time. So it's kind of like one of those things as you practice, you speed up a little bit. But um, that has been my easiest way to prep. And then usually from there, I start getting ideas as far as other things we could do, extension activities, all those things that starts to bubble up in my brain. Um, so, but starting with just a post-it note and a core board is the easiest way to go, I feel. I think that's a great suggestion. I love the idea of putting the post-it on the back. Yeah. I, I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, and even if like, you, so if you don't want, you know, like all those, post-its you know they make them in like the big sheets or whatever you can just write on you know certain pages like write your page numbers down um or even if you are just looking through like you don't want to plan a whole lesson right then and you might have a little extra time I don't really know how that happens anymore <laughs> but you could um you know put a little note and just kind of browse some books and be able to write yourself some notes um for future as well like this would be a good book if we are going to talk about numbers or if we have an ocean theme this would be a good book to read and here's the things that we could do for that i've done that as well with some of the books on my bookshelf so that i can pull them out and just know okay these are the things that i can do and kind of have that prep work done a little bit ahead of time yeah for sure i'll just give an example like my whole cf year i collected books and yeah. did the theme of the week and for every book I did, like what you suggested, I did not put the post on the back, which is a great suggestion, but I went through, I picked the core words that we were going to like model while reading. And then I like had these folders in mm -hmm. boxes with the book and like any supplemental activities. And so the next year it was ready to go for my groups, you know, whenever I would go into the classroom. So yeah. That's a great way to do like the group lessons. Do you have any other suggestions like when you're working with groups versus individuals? Does that look different for you? Um, I don't do a lot of individual therapy just because the school that I'm at, we do all push-in therapy. Um, so, and every single student, I'm at a school um, for kids that are autistic and have or related disabilities. And so we don't have any typically developing peers at my school, it's a center school. Um, so we do all push in. So every single student at my school has language therapy. So I um, just push into the classrooms and do those. Um, but when I did do individual therapy, it may have been more of along the line of sitting next to them and reading with that. But I love your idea of being able to just put everything together, especially if you take the time to plan it out and then just keep it all together in a folder or a bin or something like that so that you can reuse it again. Um, because when I definitely when I do groups, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel for every single group that I'm going to. Um, I tend to pick books or try to pick books that I could use with my pre-K kids 
but then also maybe just change it up a little bit, but also be able to use it with my second and third graders because I do have one group of second and third graders. Um, but I use the same book. I basically use the same activities, maybe just a tiny little bit of a tweak as far as um, a type of a comment that I might make or an engaging question that I might ask. Um, or an activity that we might ask them to do afterwards. I might go a little bit higher level with the older kids, um, but I really find that you can even, if you do that prep work ahead of time, kind of take that across your caseload. So you can have like one book activities and just go with it for your entire caseload, which will also make your planning a little bit easier. Awesome. So this is a great example of how you would prep for like shared reading activities. What about mm -hmm. shared writing activities? Are you able to do any of those with your students? Um, I do them in cooperation with the teachers because um, my preschool teachers use the tell me curriculum, um, which definitely works on that predictable chart writing. But I also do do it with my older students that aren't using um, that, but we definitely incorporate the predictable chart writing. So the example that I gave before about I like cats, it was after they had been done reading and I'm going to blank on the book, but it was about I like or I don't like or something like that. Um, but they were so then they would use that sentence stem and then write about it um, afterwards. So that use of predictable chart writing, and I'm not sure how familiar people are with that, um, is something that I have found very helpful. Thank you for sharing that, Elisa. She shared the Tell Me program. Oh, yay. Thank you, Elisa. Yes, I love that curriculum. And I think they might be working on an older version. I think that that was something that they were working on. I'm not quite sure if that has gotten pushed down as far as in the queue of things that they're working on, but it would be wonderful if they did. But I know that like Building Wings has great things um, in their Retopia and Retopia to go. Um, lots of different activities that you can look at as far as predictable chart writing and things like that. Awesome. And you described something else that you have or your students have. Did you say it was like a letter center? Yeah. So um, uh, a lot of our kids in pre-K, not so much in the older grades, but um, in pre-K they have like a library center or a play center that we always tell the teachers to have magnetic letters or they have these magnet, I think they're from learning resources. Yes, they are um, like shapes that they can then use to form the letters too. That was what my student was using when he was forming the Turkish letters. But um, so they have letter magnets. So our kids um, can spell with the letter magnets or just put them in ABC order or whatever they want to do. Um, and that's also a really nice way for our students. We've had them be able to then manipulate the letters around um, so we had a kid that was trying to spell lemon, I think, and he had switched the O and the M, I think, or something like that. He had switched a couple letters. And so it was a perfect opportunity for the teacher to be able to read exactly how he spelled it and kind of read it and then have him, you know, think about it. And then he was able to process it and then moved his letters around. So I think it's really important to be able to have that exposure um, no matter what age, to be able to have, you know, those letters that they can move around, um, you know, if it's older kids, maybe not the magnet letters, but I know that there's some wonderful apps. Beth Poss, I watched a um, webinar that she did this past winter. I watched it though this summer and there's um, magnetic alphabet apps and things like that, where you can still mimic that same motion, that same activity, um, but in an app, if you don't have access to the actual letters. 
That's great. You're getting some really good ideas here for like phonological awareness activities. Um, how else yeah, it all just melds together so, so nicely. It's hard to separate. Are you working on like the alphabet knowledge or is that something you're working on in conjunction with the teachers again? Um, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. So definitely even during um, my shared reading lessons, if I see a word um, or the kids seem very interested in a word or we're talking about the pictures again, I may call attention to the first letter of the animal or the action or something like that, that they're doing. Um, the teachers are doing a lot of that um, alphabetic knowledge when they're in morning meetings and just throughout their day. Um, they also do a lot of those alphabet crafts and things like that. And they follow um, within Karen Erickson, which is one of the resources that I'm gonna tell you guys about, but she has this wonderful book, Comprehensive Literacy for All. Um, that Elisa also has a wonderful Facebook group that you all should go join if you haven't joined that already, um, that walks you through the book study. But anyway, they have instead of word of the, or I'm sorry, letter of the week, it's letter of the day, because that helps you cycle through the letters and the kids get so much more exposure and so much more ability to learn about them, learn about the sounds that they make, process them, practice them, all of those things. So it's a, we do do a little bit um, individually, but pretty much everything that I'm doing just because of the nature of the classrooms that I'm working in is a lot of collaboration. Wonderful. Thank you so much for explaining all of that and yeah. giving us examples. I feel like that's really helpful. Anything else you, well, Carol said, I have access to the tell me uh, pre-K at my middle school and it works well with her like non-speaking students. Yeah, absolutely. You can do a lot of things. Um, someone actually at my school, one of the older, we have site coaches at my school, which help with the curriculum and stuff like that. Um, but one of the site coaches that actually works with middle school actually used, if you give a mouse a cookie, which you wouldn't think of as like a middle school book, you would think that they would like be, that's too babyish, but she used it for cost of goods or something along those lines. So talking about um, different things like that and taking it. So using this kid's book, but then taking it to another level and talking about something, you know, showing that connection between their life and what they're learning and then the book. And then also someone was saying um, that they did going on a bear hunt to talk about map skills. So you just kind of got, if you're thinking outside of the box, you're able to kind of use those across ages. So that was a really good comment. Awesome. Elisa shared that their book study is starting again in about two weeks. I might have you come on at the end to talk a little bit more about that because that sounds like an awesome resource if you wouldn't mind. Um, I am looking forward to it. I, I have questions because I've read through the entire book, but I'm, I'm wondering like, is that, am I too far ahead? I've read already through the book or is it something that I could join in, you know, kind of follow along with? What do you, Megan, are you part of it? I am. And I definitely, I won't speak for Elisa, but what I've seen is that you could definitely join in. I mean, I've been a part of it since the beginning as well. And I learned something new every single time. And she takes you through chapter by chapter with, you know, pulling out different factoids, having questions and answers. It's a really active group too. So people are dropping questions in there to ask, you know, this is the situation. What could I do with this to promote ideas that they have? So it's a really good group. And I think you could join it at any 
at any level, because I know, Benita, you probably feel the same way. Every time I look at that book, I find something new. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I didn't remember that. Oh, I got to do that. Um, so I feel like that Facebook group is just a really good way to keep it top of mind. Awesome. Okay. That's a great resource. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Okay. So let's, what are your favorite go-to strategies for AAC and literacy instruction? So shared reading is my number one. All of these kind of go together. Um, shared reading, um, just, and remembering that when you're doing shared reading, it's focusing on that engagement piece. It's not focusing on questioning them, comprehension, anything like that. It's just focusing on having that moment. Um, so reading the book all the way through and like you're listening and you're going to sit there. Right. Got it. Exactly. So just like, and actually, um, when we were talking about the tell me curriculum, every book is done for like two weeks. So you don't even like you do a picture walk, which a picture walk is just looking through the book and looking at the pictures and kind of doing a little bit of that descriptive teaching where you're kind of just talking about, oh, look, there's the boy, he's going over here. Here's the cat, he's following him. And just talking like, it's like day five, I think, before you actually even read the text. Um, so there's ways, um, you know, you just got to focus on that engagement and get them interested and ask those open-ended questions. Um, and a way to do that is through that CAR strategy, which is comment, ask, and respond. So I actually put invite in there. Um, so you're kind of, you're not asking because sometimes, especially as SLPs, I think that we get stuck in like, ask means I have to ask them a question, like that they have to answer yes or no, or it's a comprehension question. But I want you to think about that ask as more of like inviting. So you're inviting them to comment back or to point something out that they think is really cool. Or I wonder what's going to happen next. I love using those I wonder phrases with them. Like, I wonder what they're thinking, or I wonder what you think might happen next and kind of use that invitation. And then responding to whatever they give you and maybe adding on a little bit more, but definitely as, as doing that response piece. Um, and then that pulls right into that next third bullet. Any and all communication attempts need to be honored. So even if you're not 100% sure what that communication attempt they were trying to convey with that, you still need to honor it and say, oh, you're looking at that page. I wonder if it's something you've seen before. So things like that, just making sure you're honoring all of it because you're teaching them that what they're doing is making, is giving meaning to something. You're seeing that and you're able um, to pull that in. It helps them build connections um, and pulling in all of that verbal communication as well as that nonverbal communication. I know that commenter before had mentioned, you know, she was working with older students that were nonverbal. Um, and we've still got all of those nonverbal things that we need to look out for, you know, reaching, looking at something. Sometimes we have kids that get scared of certain parts of the book, so they might hide. You know, you can stop while you're reading. Again, going back to that engaging and talk about, oh, you look like you're scared. Do you not like monsters? Um, I had a preschool student that whenever they read Go Away, Big Green Monster, um, would literally get up and run to the bathroom and hide because he heard the word monster. He had never seen the book before. He had no idea that he wasn't really a scary monster and everything was gonna be okay. He heard the word monster and he was like, I'm out. And then as soon as the book was over, he would come back to his desk and he would sit and he would be fine. And so we just let it be. But um, you know, that was his communication and that was his way 
to say, I don't like this. So, and we have to honor that. Um, and following their lead, again, if they want to read the same page 500 times, we're going to read the same page 500 times <laughs> and we're going to flip through the book really fast. And because that's the only way we're going to get that engagement, right? Because if we show them, no, we have to just read one page and then we go to the next page. Um, you know, obviously we want to teach them how to hold the book and manipulate the book correctly, but that's not the purpose of shared reading. Um, so following their lead, um, again, you know, reading things that they're interested in goes along with that too, like the, the circulars, the magazines, even though we might not be interested in it, or we've read Goodnight Moon a hundred million times and we can recite it in our sleep, they want to read it, so we're going to read it. Um, and then repetition with variety, I think we've talked about that really along this whole time together, um, and with repetition with variety, it's like, reading, I actually have a, a social media post coming out, I think tomorrow about this specifically. Um, and it can look like so many different things, you know, it can look like um, you're reading and the first time you're reading just to do a picture walk. The second time you are reading it and you are looking for a certain character or um, even repetition with variety is if you're teaching um, a text, you know, a way to write then like an example in the comprehensive literacy for all book is if you're teaching them how to write riddles or something like that. So then you're teaching them the context of how to write a riddle and then you start writing all sorts of riddles about things that they like or places that they've been. Um, so you're doing the same thing, you're just changing it up a little bit. Um, a way I like to do that with books is if I read the same book, um, we may do a different follow-up activity afterwards. So the kids are getting the repetition to understand, you know, the book, how we go about reading, how they can comment, because if we don't expose them to it multiple times, either we're kind of limiting their ability to learn how to do those commenting things within books, because um, it's like a one and done situation like, oh, but now if we read it again, I could talk about the dinosaur this time and how he was stomping through the mud and then he went to go splash in the puddles and now he's all clean. Um, before, when I read it the first time, I didn't know about that. So it's providing those multiple opportunities that's really key with that repetition of variety. I love that. Thank you for the examples too. I think it helps to kind of illustrate what that actually looks like. Um, Jacqueline said repeated readings are really helpful and necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like you were saying, it's like one and done. If you, yeah, we had, we were doing um, a summer theme and summer school this year was all ocean themed. So um, I had one SLP colleague that had one book and our summer school was a month long. And she read that one book the entire month and just did different activities every time. And the kids loved it. It was again, easy planning on our part. Um, and it was just, but it helped definitely with that literacy piece and the AAC piece. What was this book that you could like drag on for the whole summer? I'm so curious. Oh, she did the book. This is crab. Okay. Um, it's very interactive. It has lots of actions that the kids have to do, but honestly, Vanita, I have done multiple books for like a month where wow. it's just like you read it and then you do a different activity afterwards. Or, you know, again, if you're following the learner's lead, you may not even get halfway through the book the first time. Um, and then the next time you come back, you read the rest of it or you start over from the beginning. So um, I think as long as you keep keep it fresh and keep the, diff the purpose 
different every time you read, um, it's pretty easy to be able to use books. Now, if you're doing everyday sessions for a month, maybe not. But if you're doing like one or two a week, I think I think it's very doable. Okay, thank you. That helps to clarify because I'm just thinking back to like when I worked in a similar setting that you're in and it was every day in the same classrooms. So yeah, that would have been, I think you could do it for sure. I'm sure like yeah. just all the ways that you're describing the different activities, it could definitely be done. So just people think, you know, thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it depends, you know, too, on how long your, your, um, your session is with them. Right. So if you're going in and leading a whole group session and it's 30 minutes, well, yeah, you might not be able to do one book for a whole month either, you know, if it's every day, but if you're like in a small group center, then you might not get, it might only be 10 minutes long. And so it might be broken up into those tiny little chunks. So it just kind of, yeah, depends definitely on how you're doing it and how it's being implemented. Makes sense. And I forgot to put the car reference here, but we do have it in the references section. I think it's Notori, but I can't remember the other two names yeah. uh, behind that like protocol. So we will we'll yeah. definitely share that though later. Awesome. So let's talk about these resources you kind of sprinkled in here and there. Yes, I know. I can't help but talk about this comprehensive literacy for all book. It is, if you are interested at all in incorporating literacy with your um, complex communicators, your AAC users, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to pick up this book. You will not be disappointed. Mine is highlighted and dog-eared there. Vanita has her copy. Um, I, and like I said, every time I read it, I find something different. We did a book study on it at my school where all the teachers had to be, well, had to be, they were given an opportunity to be a part of it. Um, so it was a real big push, but I definitely, and that's the book that um, Elisa goes through multiple times during the year, very in-depth in her group um, on Facebook, her comprehensive literacy for all book study group. Um, so I definitely encourage you to check that out. Um, the literacy for all website is based off of the book. So you can kind of get some ideas of what is included in the book in that on that website. I think it was put together by um, either one individual or a group of individuals from Canada. Um, but it's still very applicable because like I said, it pulls right from comprehensive literacy for all. And it's got wonderful resources, explanations of um, predictable chart writing, shared reading, things like that. So if you want kind of a condensed version, that could be an opportunity for you too, or you could look at that and kind of see if, you know, purchasing the book might be something that would be helpful for you. Um, Project Core, again, is those wonderful people out of the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, they put together Project Core, um, as well as Shared Reader and Tar Heel Reader that we talked about. Um, and that is a bunch of free access AAC modules. So they talk about AAC in there, but they also talk about um, shared reading. There is modules that you could run as a facilitator if you wanted to do like little professional learning communities with your SLPs or with your teachers. Um, and they have, you know, worksheets that go along with them. They also have self-assessments, reflections that I use when I go in for observations or consult times in the classrooms on all the different pieces of comprehensive literacy for all because Karen Erickson 
is one of the authors of Comprehensive Literacy for All, and she is the head of all of the literacy wonderful things at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. So um, that has been a resource that I pull from very, very frequently. Yeah, same here. Did you mention this, that I think it's Project Core that has the PD modules where you can get certificates as well? Yes, yes. So not only can you use them for facilitating other things, but Benita's right, you can use, you can watch them for yourself and learn for yourself if it's still something that's new or you want to catch up on it and you can definitely get those PD. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nicole. Nicole sharing every single one of these links in the chat. So hopefully everybody Yay. is getting those links. Uh, I haven't seen any like questions come in yet. So this would be a good time. If you have questions for Megan, go ahead and put them in the Q&A or put them in the chat. I think we'll catch it either way um, because we are nearing the end today. Megan, I wanted, do you have a, like an app or a device handy and a book? Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Because here's my thing. I'm just thinking back to like when, I was like first starting out with AAC and like how it was really overwhelming, honestly, when yeah. just starting out. And now how do I manage like modeling or shared book reading too, while I'm trying yes. to model on the device? Can yes. you like show that a little bit? I sure and can. Carol, we will definitely share a copy of the slides in the follow-up email. So we're going to send the recorded version of this in the follow-up email and we'll send the slides too. Okay. So I've got my TD snap pulled up here, but then I've also just got my light tech core board. This is the core board that we use at my school. Um, I think for ease of like glare, I might just use this, but it's pretty much got all the core vocabulary. And then I happen to have this book right next to me about starting school. So it's hard to do when I don't have a table in front of me or like a big core board. That's the other thing is a lot of my schools well, all of my classrooms at my school have big core boards up on like poster size core boards up on the wall. And then all of the kids have a version of this on their desk or accessible in some way, shape or form in their desk or whatever. So while I'm modeling, the teacher's modeling, the paraprofessionals are modeling, everyone's modeling. So it's a little bit harder to do when I'm sitting here with all of this, but um, just starting on the front page of this book, I would be able to say, you know, look, she's going somewhere. Where do you think she's going? And while I'm doing that, you know, I would be modeling on, on this, for instance, this corporate, I would be like, look, where is she going? Hmm. I wonder. And if you're not comfortable with using multiple core words, like you're just starting out with core vocabulary, just pick one pick one or two that you're comfortable with that come up often in whatever book you're reading and go from there. Um, there's no need for you to feel like you have to model all the words all the time because then you're just gonna stress yourself out and it's not gonna work. Um, and then nobody's gonna be able to follow you um, you know, with your support staff or anything like that. They're gonna be just as confused. So, um, and then you could just talk about, you're gonna open the book. Oh, we've got to turn the page. Hmm, I see the letter S. S says, can anybody else find another S? And then let them see it throughout. So you can see how these lessons could take, because I've gone like one page, and you can see how these lessons can take a little bit longer um, as you kind of 
drag it, not drag it out sounds bad, but you guys know what I'm doing. You like lengthen it a little bit. So you're really drawing attention and you're really bringing that engagement in as part of the shared reading. So I won't go through the whole book, but you know, you could just talk about turn. And then this book is really great because it's got, this just happens to be the one that was on my desk, but it's got um, the opportunity to shine a flashlight through the backside of this. And then some magic things up here, like this comes through the backside. So I have a post coming up on social media about this book, so stay tuned. But, um, so there's lots of different engaging things. And then again, just talking about the illustrations, I haven't even read the text yet. So um, yeah, so hopefully that's kind of what you were what you were looking for. And if anybody had any comments or wants to know specifically, I'd be happy to help with that too. I think that that was perfect. I think it shows like the logistics of how that would kind of work. I think having like a place to have your board fixed. And if you can mm -hmm. get big is ideal. And uh, something that I've done in the past, and I'm sure you have too, is like, if you can use a dry erase marker on it, highlighting the yes. words in a model that kind of helps you pre-plan too. Um, mm -hmm. And then Nancy asked, what was the name of that book? This book is, I can send you guys some links too, because I know I've mentioned a couple. This one is a shine a light. Um, it's called starting school. So. So, um, but yeah, cool. I just, I love those books. Um, so we got another question. It says, how do you model if students in the classroom use different programs like LAMP? That's, yes. So that is the million dollar question, right? Um, so um, it's that might, okay. So there's a couple different ways I would answer this. So if you have one that is, predominant. So let's say you have multiple, but like out of five kids, there's three that are on LAMP. Okay. And then there's two that are on touch chat. I would probably lend towards modeling for the whole class on, if you're going to do a big board on the, the one that has the majority, um, and then have those kids that have, um, other devices or other systems, then you would directly go over to them or have a paraprofessional or a teacher or someone, if you have someone available, um, or you can do it as well, then you could kind of pause during your shared reading and go over and model for them as well. If you have access to both and you can flop back and forth between, you know, if you're screen sharing or anything like that, or you've got two big poster boards, you can model both. Um, but I know that that can get a little bit tricky. Um, we have just the one core board that's like our tier one intervention, but we do have a bunch of kids that then as they, you know, develop and they get a communication device or they come into us with touch chat or they come into us with lamp, then we do have to kind of navigate that. Um, and it's a lot of hopping back and forth, but I think once you get into your groove, you would be able to be able to work through that um, and helping, helping your support staff if you've got it. Otherwise, just being able to take your time and don't feel rushed because um, the kids are still learning. So there's no need for you to have to do it, you know, super fast or anything like that. And giving them more wait time is only going to be helpful. And I think your suggestion of like starting with the one word is really applicable in this instance too. Um, like yes. You kind of get more familiar. Yes. Awesome. Well, I think that covers all the questions. I haven't seen anything else come in. Nicole shared how to get your live certificate. So hopefully you saw that. 
um, in the chat. And we will be sending out the recording. We'll be sending out the PowerPoint by the end of the week. So keep an eye out in your inbox for that. And then keep an eye out for the AAC Connect event that's coming August 29th and August 30th. We have some incredible sponsors. We're doing a giveaway for the Comprehensive Literacy for All, but we're purchasing that book. So it's not affiliated with, with Erickson and Copenhaver, but we're going to purchase it and offer it as a giveaway. And uh, everyone that's attended tonight should get updates about the event when it becomes available. But if you want to share this one with anybody, that is the link. So it's tasseltogether.com slash AAC waitlist. Thank you, everybody, for coming tonight. Um, I'm glad that Rose said it made it easy to understand and apply to her students. That's great. Megan, that's wonderful. thank you so much. <laughs> Of course, thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys for coming. I hope it was very helpful. If you have any questions after the fact or you want me to go deeper into something, please feel free to DM me on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. I'd love to connect and chat. This is my favorite topic. So I will never have nothing to say. Awesome. Have a great night, everybody. This episode is part of an online event called AAC Connect. As a reminder, listening to this podcast episode does not automatically guarantee ASHA CEUs. If you want to earn 0.1 ASHA CEUs for this episode or up to 0.4 ASHA CEUs for all of the courses in this event, plus access to perks like handouts, video playbacks, and giveaways, then you still have a chance to register using the link in the show notes. And I'm sharing a special discount code just for Speechy Setup listeners Use the code SPEECHYSIDEUP to save 10% on any membership level. So just to summarize, in order to earn ASHA CEUs, first register for the conference with the link in the show notes, or you can go to getaachelp.com. Then you'll be able to access the course feedback survey, quiz, and earn your certificate. Please submit all of the required materials no later than November 30th, 2023. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you at the live AAC Connect workshops on August 29th through the 30th, where you can get all of your questions about AAC answered.